Good for you. Well, guys, good to be here. Good to see you. It's good to be together, isn't it? We were talking about that. Uh, worship team gathers in the green room and we pray. And Kurt Heineke just mentioned that. It's just good. It's good to have the privilege of doing this. The weather has been uh, on the downside and you come in this room and we're together and we're singing songs and we're hearing from God's word here in a minute. And it's just a reminder, this is where we belong. This is where we're supposed to be with the body of Christ. Uh, I know some of you here know a lot of people in the room. Some of you here don't hardly know anyone because you're, you're new. It's been a strange season. People have been in and out. I'm looking around. I'm seeing faces that I don't know as well. I just want you to know if you're new to fellowship or, or one of the newer ones to fellowship, I'd love to get to know you as much as I'm able to. I'd love to say hello. If you're comfortable coming down after the service and introducing yourself, if you'll wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. If you're not wearing a mask, I may not. Just, we're trying to just kind of base it on that comfort level. But um, feel free, come down. I would love to say hello. Uh, my name is Rob, by the way. I realized I forgot to mention that when I came up here. And uh, I'm one of the, the two teaching pastors here. And also I lead our team, our staff team is the lead pastor pastor of fellowship. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to get into another very light text this morning. If you've been following uh, through, we talked about murder and anger two weeks ago. Then last week, Lloyd talked about adultery and lust, and today we're talking about divorce. So Jesus is just covering some uh, very, you know, small things in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I want to set this up this way before we get into the text. You know, contrary to how it's often understood, the Sermon on the Mount is not really about Jesus just issuing a bunch of moral commands. People tend to kind of read it that way. They think of it that way. That's not really what's going on here. We've been using this idea, this image of the um, the iceberg. And I, see if we can put that on the screen if we can. And and the idea in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're in, is Jesus is saying, you've heard it said this, but I say that. And if you think about that in terms of an iceberg, Jesus is, is taking six different commands from the Old Testament that are, really in, that are literally in the Scripture. You know, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you know, you don't get divorced, and this kind of thing. And, and he's saying, listen, there is, there is an, an outer behavior part of that that's really only 10% of the iceberg, you know, what's above the waterline, so to speak. The behavior of the law itself do this, don't do that. But then you've got the bigger part of the iceberg, which is under the waterline, which is really all about your heart. It's about your motive. It's about your intent. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's kind of turning um, upside down, inside out, the whole way of thinking of what it means to be righteous. Now think about this. There's no law in, in anyone's law books in any country, in any civilization that history has ever um, um, come up with that talks about the intent of your heart, that talks about the motivations. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but uh, I sometimes may inadvertently or advertently break the speed limit. And, and when I'm driving too fast, you know, if those blue lights go behind me, he's not going to come up to my window and say, what was the motive of your heart in driving 15 miles per hour more than the speed limit? No, he's just going to say, I got you on my radar gun. You were going 50 and a 35 or whatever it is. And then he writes the ticket. God is more concerned with the motive and intention of our heart, even than he is with our behavior. Now, I don't want to separate the two too much. This is why the iceberg image works so well, because it's one iceberg so your behavior is connected to your motive, but you see the law just looks on the outside. God is looking at all of us. He is exposing, Jesus is in the sermon, what is below the waterline in our hearts and in our lives. And that's why in some ways this text is such a challenge. So two weeks ago, we talked about the act of murder, which is kind of above the line, so to speak. And then what's really underneath is anger. 
And then last week, Lloyd talked about adultery, which is kind of what's above the line, but what's really underneath the waterline is lust. And we get to this morning's text, just two verses, but there's nothing small about this topic, is there? Marriage and divorce is what Jesus is talking about. And we're gonna come back to this iceberg analogy. You can go ahead and remove that from the screen. I'll come back to it a little later. I'm gonna ask if we could stand together as we read our text. You know, these are the very words of Jesus Christ that have been preserved across 2,000 years for us. And so we come under their authority as a body. And I want you to hear one another's voices corporately saying these words together to remind us that we are under the authority of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll lead it and you can read along with me, Matthew chapter five, verses 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman, commits adultery. This is the living word of God for us today. Bow your heads for just a moment. Father, we do ask that you would, through this text, speak to us by your spirit and teach us what it means to follow Jesus through his words in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. The single most photographed, planned for, anticipated, celebrated, an expensive day in most people's lives is the day they get married. People get on airplanes, drive long distances, take time off work, buy new clothes. It is a big day. Many couples come into that day with more preparation and expectation than any other day of their life. Hope overflows, and it's all centered around a single promise. I will love you, treasure you, be faithful to you, through sickness and health, through poverty and plenty, as long as we both shall live. But when marriages die, and they do, there are no pictures, no gowns, no invitations, no gifts, no parties. The death isn't usually a quick one, though most people wish it would be. It usually just bleeds to death from a thousand little cuts and wounds. No one calls 911 or does CPR, it's just that hearts that were once warm and thoughtful over time get tough and hard, and everyone feels the pain. The death of a marriage is one of the saddest, most painful things I can think of. For some of you, this is very personal and very painful. Even mentioning it makes you cringe and feel anxious inside, and you're wondering, what is my church going to say about this? And that's a good question, because sometimes churches have made a bad situation worse. These are not my words. These are the words of Larry Kayser, who is our pastor of marriage ministry, who was going to be here this morning to preach this message. Um, Larry, as many of you know, has been here at Fellowship for a number of years, and one of our elders as well. He's a phenomenal marriage ministry, which I'll talk about a little more at the end of my message. But about a month ago, Lloyd and I saw this text coming, and we thought, who better to teach the message on marriage and divorce than the one on our staff who has the most experience, expertise, and passion for marriage? And so we asked uh, Larry to teach this message, and Larry has fallen ill 
It's non-COVID related, but uh, he's undergoing a lot of tests. They think it might be heart related. He's doing fine, but we want to continue to pray for Larry. So we made the decision uh, that Larry was not going to teach this text, but, but he did have time to write part of the message. And what I just read to you was Larry's introduction to this message. Um, a, a message or a, the notes that I took incorporated in my own study and uh, have the sermon that I'm going to share with you this morning. But I wanted to start with these words, not just because they're well-written, but because they express Larry's heart and my heart for this morning. And so here are three prayers that I have uh, for this message this morning. My first prayer is that everyone will understand clearly what Jesus says about divorce and that he's not being harsh or judgmental, just wise. My second prayer is that those of you who have been through this will experience grace and hope, two gifts that are central to the gospel. And my third prayer is that some of you who are right now struggling in your marriage, maybe you're ready to give up, that you would hang on, that you would get help, that you would stay the course, and that others of you would put up guardrails around the God-inspiring promise you made to one another. Those are my prayers, and those are our prayers. Myself and Larry and Lloyd, and we all talked and met about this message because we know it hits home for so many of us, many of us. And by the way, even if you're not married, maybe you've been married, maybe you've never, maybe you don't plan to be married, maybe you're so young, it's not even on the tip of your mind. There's some things in this text for all of us to see God's vision for marriage this morning. So uh, I wanted to share that with you as we get going and also say this. I know we have in the room right now people who are divorced, people who are divorced and remarried, people that are struggling in their marriage, people that are having a great marriage, people that feel shame about their marriage, either past or present, people that feel pride about their marriage, and people who are probably just apathetic about the whole thing, and maybe you're wishing right now you'd skip this morning. I, I know the audience, all of us are here in this room, and they just want to say, my message this morning is going to be inadequate to answer all your questions. It's just two verses of the Bible, and the Bible talks a lot about marriage and divorce in a number of passages, and this is just two verses. But we have in these verses the words of Jesus Christ himself on this subject. And so think about this for a minute. Jesus was the Word made flesh, and he was love incarnate. That's who Jesus, I say was, is, you know, resurrected Jesus. He is the word made flesh and he is love made flesh. And if you can understand those two concepts, truth and love, truth and grace, truth and compassion, and how Jesus embodies both of those. It's not an either or with Jesus. It's a both and. You know, think about it. Jesus never once diminished a single letter of God's law. And at the same time, everyone that came to Jesus and said, listen, I've blown it got more compassion and grace and mercy than they could even ask for. If you can understand these two things, that, that Jesus Christ himself is love incarnate and truth incarnate, then you will have ears to hear this morning's text. So this is how I want to break down this message. I want to talk about the truth and I want to talk about the love. I want to talk about the truth in these two verses and the words of Jesus. And then I want to talk about the compassion in them. We'll start with truth and then we'll go to compassion. So let's Focus on the truth of what Jesus is saying here about divorce and marriage. To understand Jesus' point, you have to understand some things about the cultural context of the first century audience that Jesus was speaking to. Um, obviously, a lot of years have passed since Jesus spoke these words, you know, roughly 2,000 years or so. We live in a very different cultural context. Um, a lot of it translates over, but it's not just as simple as saying, oh, 
Well, listen to what Jesus says about divorce and then straight applying it into our cultural context. It doesn't exactly work that way, and I want to explain what I mean by that. In the first century Jewish culture, there was a debate going on of the day that is no longer in our minds. And the debate of the day is, from a spiritual or a religious Jewish perspective, um, can a a man divorce his wife for, for any reason he wants to, as long as he gives her certificate? Now, that doesn't translate over that well into our culture. You know, we don't do a, the same kind of certificate. But there is something that translates over, and, and we'll get to that. In other words, the debate of Jesus' time was, when is it biblically okay to get a divorce, and when is it not? And the dominant view of Jesus' day is that a husband could divorce his wife for, for just about any reason he wants to, as long as he goes through the legal process, as long as he does it the righteous way and gives her this certificate of divorce. Now, this view came from a single verse in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24, verse one. And in that verse, Moses mentions a certificate of divorce in a specific situation where a man finds, quote, indecency in his wife. Now, more than likely, Moses' intent, and if you put that in context of Deuteronomy, the the indecency mentioned was very likely sexual immorality. It was the the same idea that Jesus is is mentioning in our verse this morning. But over time, the male, the the men who who were the ones at, at that point in time that were essentially making all the legal rules and all the religious rules and everything else, they're saying, you know what, I think indecency, that might also apply to if she burns the meal. You know, and I'm not making that up. You know, we, we laugh. It was actually terrible. Like we actually, you know, there was, there was teaching of, of these religious scholars of the day that said, yeah, indecency could be she burns the meal. Indecency could be uh, she can't bear me children. Indecency could be, this is another, another true one that they found archaeological evidence of, and, and a reason to divorce in that day could be she talks so loud my next door neighbor can hear her. So this idea, though, for any and every reason, you can divorce your wife if she displeases you as long as you write her this certificate. And by the way, it only worked one way. In the first century Jewish culture, only men could divorce. Women could not. Now, it's important to note in Deuteronomy 24.1, which is the verse that these legal experts had kind of taken out of context and twisted, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, Moses never explicitly in, in sanctions divorce. It simply mentions divorce in the context of a specific type of situation. And over the years, these Jewish legal experts had sort of interpreted that one verse to give this very broad permission so that at the time of Jesus, divorce was not a moral issue. The only moral issue for strict Jewish men of that day is if you cast her out without writing her a certificate. Now, what's the big deal of the certificate? The certificate was her liberation papers. I mean, I I know this sounds strange, but this is actually true. These certificates would say things like, you are now free to go marry someone else. You are now your own possession. You, You see, they were viewing women as property. They were viewing wives as property. And so from the righteous Jewish perspective at the time of Jesus, that you could send her away as long as you have proof that she's no longer yours so that you can't be sneaky and come back later and say, oh, where'd you run off to? This is my property, and yank her back into your house. That's what they were trying to protect against. So they thought they were being so righteous as long as they wrote her this certificate, as long as they gave her the paperwork. And this is where truth made flesh, the word made flesh, stepped in. And with no amount of 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 silliness, 
Jesus is serious here. He wants to get their attention. He was adamantly opposed to this interpretation of this Old Testament law. And so in our passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is explicitly saying, you have misinterpreted this. You know, you've heard it said, you know, if you divorce a woman, just give her a certificate. But I say to you, do not divorce, except the woman has already broken her union with you through her immorality, through her infidelity. You see, Jesus is saying God's intent for marriage is a lifelong covenant union before God rooted in unconditional promises to one another. Another way to think about it, Jesus is saying, listen, you know, you guys have been making divorce about the paperwork. You've forgotten the promise. You know, you've been so, so caught up with, with the idea of, of the certificate that you've lost sight of the covenant. Now, in just a moment, let's not put it on the screen yet, but in just a moment, I'm going to read to you the message paraphrase of our two verses this morning. Now, raise your hand if you read the message or have read the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible. Okay, maybe half or so in the room. I want to encourage the rest of you to, to use this as a resource. Now, when I was growing up, I used to think the message was just for kids, you know, probably not when I was growing up, but when I was a young adult. Because when you read the message sometimes, the language is so accessible. Sometimes it verges and it sounds almost like not holy enough to be the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? And to be clear, it is not a translation. It is a paraphrase. And so I'm not recommending it to you as your primary study Bible by any means. But, but what a lot of people don't realize about Eugene Peterson, who, who paraphrased the Bible in, in this book called The Message, he was a fantastic scholar. He, he was an expert of Hebrew, especially and so what he was able to do, his whole goal for writing the message is to bridge cultural contexts. And so he was able to read the Bible in the original language and say, man, this is actually earthy language. I'm going to paraphrase it in English using earthy language. And so he's able to bridge cultural context in a way that really helps us understand what's going on. So I encourage you to you know, read the ESV or the NASB or the NIV or whatever your other translation of choice is. And every now and then, come over and read Eugene Peterson paraphrase. And this is a fantastic example. I want you to now see how Eugene Peterson paraphrases our two verses this morning. We'll put those on the screen. Thank you. This is, this is incredible. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure. Oh my goodness. Do you see how Peterson is taking his understanding of first century Jewish culture, which he gets exactly right, and then he, he's using that to bring out the meaning of Jesus' words in a context that we can really understand. Guys, you could read six commentaries on Matthew and you'd come to the conclusion that Peterson gives you right here in, in, that, in that paragraph. Now, leave that up for, there for a couple more minutes. 
Why would Jesus say, if you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress? Or, you know, in, in, in the ESV, he says, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual morality, makes her commit adultery. Did you catch that? If you divorce your wife, men, you are making her an adulteress. Or the way Peterson says it, you're responsible for making her an adulteress. Why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus is assuming remarriage after divorce. And the reason for that is a woman in that culture had virtually no way to support herself if she was not attached to a patriarch. So her only options would be to go back to her father if he would take her or if he's still alive, if she's still young enough. If not, go get married to another man. Otherwise, she's just at the mercy of strangers to provide for her. If, if, you don't have fa- if you didn't have family in that culture, if you're not attached to a patriarch in that culture, there were no social systems. There were no government handouts. By the way, this is why the Bible consistently commands the people of God to care for orphans and widows because those are the two people groups that were outside of the patriarchal system. You see? And God is saying, I care for these people and I'm gonna provide for them through you, Christians. You know, this, this is why we get this command. Now, Jesus is saying, and this is very interesting. You think about it this way, men. Jesus is saying um, to the first century men of his time, men from God's perspective, that the man who sends a woman away is still in covenant with her. So when that woman gets remarried, he, the original husband, has made her an adulteress. Now, I think Peterson nails the big idea of these two verses. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure. But to give you a reinforcement for that interpretation of this text, which I think is spot on, To reinforce that, I want to now take you to Matthew 19. If you have your Bibles open, just turn over four, five, six pages to Matthew chapter 19. And here's the context of Matthew 19. Jesus is going to say almost the exact same words, but he's going to add some additional information. And the context is he's going to be asked in, in an attempt to trick and trap Jesus by some Pharisees. He's going to be asked... Jesus answered to the debate of the day. Is it lawful for a man to divorce a wife for any reason? And this is Jesus' answer. Let's take a look at Matthew 19, verses three to nine. We'll put it on the screen. There it is. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? There's the debate of the day. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter two. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? They just twisted Moses. There they go right there. Now look how Jesus counters. This is absolutely brilliant. He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, 
This will sound familiar. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Virtually the same words from the Sermon on the Mount. Whoa, Jesus is this incredibly brilliant man. I mean, we know this, but we forget. Did you see how, what, he did, what he just did? First of all, he took the Pharisees to God's original design for, for marriage. So the Pharisees want to talk about the legality of divorce in the debate of the day. And Jesus says, let's talk about God's design for marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Let's start there. Then the second place he takes them, he takes the Pharisees to their own hearts. Oh my goodness. He says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives but from the beginning, it was not so. So here's the brilliance of Jesus. I want to go back to our iceberg image, okay? J just take a look what, what Jesus is doing here. Up top is the 10% that the Pharisees were concerned about, the legality of the divorce. Underneath is the 90% that God is most concerned about, broken promises from a hardened hearts. That's the big picture that the Pharisees didn't want to look at. The Pharisees wanted to make it about what was legal, righteous, religiously okay. Jesus made it about the heart. Now, if we could leave that image up for a few minutes. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. And, and, and I just want to say, this is a hard truth to hear. For any and all of us in the room, married or unmarried, divorced, non-divorced, happily married, unhappily married, whatever your status is, this is a hard truth to hear. I want you to hear this. Jesus is saying this. Underneath every broken relationship, and, and broken marriages are, are just that, aren't they? Broken relationships. But certainly under every, every divorce is a broken promise rooted in a hard heart. In other words, this is a very interesting way to think about this. Jesus is saying there are no grounds for divorce apart from hard-heartedness that God has, in, in grace, in, in common grace and mercy, made exception for knowing the brokenness and hard-heartedness of the creation around us and the brokenness in us. So there are no grounds for divorce apart from hard-heartedness somewhere in the equation. Let me give you some examples. Behind every broken covenant at some level is hard-heartedness in one or both of the parties. Sometimes this looks like a spouse putting themselves and their desires above the one that they're in covenant with. Sometimes this looks like a spouse unwilling to repent or confess or maybe unwilling to forgive. Sometimes this looks like a spouse unwilling to love their enemy. Sometimes it looks like a spouse allowing lust to become more powerful than their promise. Sometimes it looks like a spouse unwilling to surrender to the work of God's spirit toward reconciliation, which is going to be where the spirit is going to desire to take a couple, but sometimes a couple or one or more of the says, I don't really want reconciliation with you. Now, I'm not saying any of this is easy, guys. This is not easy at all, and it's messy, and there are circumstances, and I know all that, and Jesus knew all that. That's what I'm trying to show you. But Jesus does not let up. 
He, he does not say, sure. Let's, let's, let's just own the fact that there's a broken creation so you can divorce for any and every reason. Just make sure you protect her legally and write the certificate. He's moving in the opposite direction. He's saying, oh, no, 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 no. It was never supposed to be this way from the beginning. Marriage is meant to be a lifelong, unbreakable covenant bond between a man and a woman. And this is not easy, but this is beautiful. And it's so, it's actually, for, for any of you who are married and, and have gone through the highs and lows of marriage, which if you've been married longer than a year or so, you probably have gone through devastatingly lows and, and wonderful high highs. You actually find out that, that hanging in there and growing through it all is some of the most sanctifying work that can happen in your life. And so let's go back to the iceberg, and, and I want to show you God's view of marriage, and I, I want to be as clear as, as I possibly uh, can be on, on what God is saying here, God's view of marriage. Um, man has made marriage into simply a legal contract. God's perspective, God's view of marriage is a covenant union. And I want you to think about this for just a minute. Man has taken God's creation of marriage. That's what Jesus is saying. Is like, God designed this. Genesis chapter two. That's very early on. God created this one flesh union called marriage. And what man has done, both in the Old Testament culture, the New Testament culture, and definitely in 21st century modern culture and all the cultures in between, is man has taken what's meant to be a one flesh union and reduced it to a simple legal contract. This is true in Jesus' day. This is true in our, in our day, as opposed to a covenant union, a one flesh uh, entity that God designed it to be. So last week, if you were here, when Lloyd taught on adultery and lust, one of the things Lloyd said about marriage is he said, marriage is meant to be the visible expression of the spiritual reality of God's union with us. Which is unthinkable that that could be broken, that God would never give up on us. And marriage is meant to be, ideally, God's intent, God's purpose for marriage is meant to be a reflection of his covenant relationship, his covenant union with us. So there is, just like the iceberg, the 10% above the waterline that the world sees and cares about. And there is the 90% below the waterline that God sees and cares about. And they're not completely separate because marriage does include a legal contract, does it not? I mean, that's the, the legality of marriage in our culture and in Jesus' culture is there. But it's not meant to be the, the, the iceberg. It's 10%, you see. Now, we can take that off the screen. We've talked about the hard truth, the truth you know, itself from the word made flesh. Now I wanna talk about the compassion in this text coming from love made flesh, love incarnate. You know, um, At first, there maybe doesn't seem to be a lot of compassion in these verses. You know, Jesus is just kind of coming down strong and hard. You know, This is marriage. There's just, just not really place for divorce much is what Jesus is saying here. Um, but you need to look underneath the words of Jesus with the cultural context in mind to see the compassion of his words come to the surface. So I wanna remind you of two things that I've already mentioned to you culturally. First, only men had the power to divorce in that culture, number one. Number two, if a woman was without a husband, 
She was outside of anyone's provision and had no way of providing for herself. Those are just two indisputable historical cultural facts of the day, the day and time that Jesus spoke these words. You take those two things and put them together in a patriarchal culture, and what you find is marriage essentially had become a playground for men to have their needs met at the expense of women. And I'm saying it ugly in that way on purpose because I think Jesus knew that's exactly what was happening, and the Pharisees were making it look like it was righteous. So when Jesus, guys, this is so important for you to get this. When Jesus took a radically different view of divorce from the Pharisees, who was he standing up for? Say it out loud. Who was Jesus standing up for? Yes, he was standing up for women. And this is a crucially important point because he was talking to people who were practicing something that was distorted and wrong and not God's intent from the very beginning. Jesus is saying this is not how it is meant to be. Now do you start to see the compassion? You know, when you get under this text, you, you realize, oh, the one who is love incarnate, the one who is God, you know, God is love, according to John, and, and God came to earth in Jesus Christ. Love came to earth. This love came to earth man is expressing the heart of God for broken people living in a broken system. And so Jesus' words represent God's vision for marriage in both the Old Testament, New Testament, today. One man, one woman, one flesh for life. And Jesus is reminding the Pharisees of his day and, and, and even his disciples who have thought the Pharisees had it right. What you see in your culture is not the way it's meant to be. Could we not say the same thing about our culture today? What we see in our culture is not the way it is meant to be. And, and so what do we do with this mess? You know, how do we apply it? This is where I want to land the message in you know, just let me just say one brief thing before I go to the application. Um, let me put this verse back on the screen really briefly. What, what's going on when, when Jesus says here, uh, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground, whoops, wrong color, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, you know? Uh, is this the escape clause, so to speak? You know, it, it's been talked about that way. It's kind of been viewed that way. Sexual immorality, the actual Greek uh, is pornea. Um, depending on the con context, pornea can mean a lot of different sexual um, uh, deviances away from God's design. In this context, it's almost assuredly is talking about adultery. You know, in a one flesh union, a man is meant to be only with his wife. A, a wife is meant to be only with her husband. And, and so when one of the parties, in this case, Jesus is talking about if, if the woman were to go outside of that bond and form a new bond, physical bond with another man, she has broken that covenant, you see. And, and so this is essentially what Jesus is saying. From Jesus' perspective, adultery is the choice by one of the spouses because of hardness of heart to break the marital union by creating a new union with someone else. And when you combine this with Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus says Moses permitted divorce because of hardness of heart, you start to get a picture of Jesus holding a truth, compassion, tension. On the one hand, the truth, God's purpose and ideal for marriage, one woman, one man for a lifetime in a one flesh union. And on the other side, Jesus has an acknowledgement and, and I even wanna say an allowance for the brokenness of creation that is now marked and marred by sin. Jesus is holding truth together with compassion. So how do we apply this text? The same way. We must hold attention. 
attention that our culture doesn't know how to hold or won't refuse to, to hold, uh, attention that a lot of churches don't know how to hold, and so they refuse to hold it. You know, most churches are going to teach this text, and they're just going to come down hard and just say, sorry, guys, there's not a lot of compassion here. It's just don't divorce, period. Other churches are going to say, it's too hard to tell people don't divorce, so it's just going to be okay. You know, just do what you need to do. Guys, we can't do that because that's not what Jesus did. We have to hold a hard tension, truth and compassion. So, so our position on marriage and divorce is going to be Jesus' position on marriage and divorce. It's going to be the truth of God's intent and ideal for marriage, which we cannot back down from, and compassion. Compassion because it's so hard. Compassion because there are circumstances. And by the way, the Bible talks about various circumstances. This is not the only place that the Bible addresses divorce. And the purpose of my message this morning is not to give you the white paper on marriage and divorce. It's to get underneath the words of Jesus to help you see the heart of Jesus for us in this truth and compassion. Holding the tension of truth and compassion is gonna be our posture because it was the posture of Jesus. So here's what this looks like. I wanna tell you briefly about our marriage ministry. Many of you don't even know that this exists at Fellowship. We have the best marriage ministry of any church that I've ever attended or served at. That is not an exaggeration. Larry and Ann Kayser have done a fabulous job over about the last 10 years of investing in the lives of scores of couples who are now marriage mentors. And right now we have about 40 couples ready to go for any marriage in our body that just says, man, we just need some help. And by the way, you can be on the brink, right ready to divorce and just say, let's just try one last thing. Let's just get in contact with Fellowship's marriage ministry. Call us, email us. Or you could be like, our marriage is going pretty well. We just would love to get some advice on some stuff and walk with a couple. By all means, reach out, contact. We've got the resources. You can email Annalee Williams at that email address. We also are gonna have our next re-engage class, which is, a, uh, I think it's 16 or 18 weeks of a deep dive into the heart of marriage. It's fa fabulous. It'll start in January, Lord willing. You know, we're planning, hoping that we'll be able to do that. We paused it this fall because of COVID. And finally, I wanna challenge all of us in the body, whether you're single, married, divorced, I wanna challenge you to hold the truth and compassion together in tension with one another. And I wanna say to those of you who are divorced and have felt missed or misunderstood or unacknowledged here at Fellowship or um, overlooked or, or accidentally insulted by, by something that may have been said from this stage, or, or just this, this feel that we don't really know what to do with you because you're divorced, I wanna say I'm sorry. I wanna ask you to forgive us for wounds that we may have inadvertently, or, or maybe in some cases even intentionally, I don't know how or why, but I, I wanna acknowledge room for that too, that we may have caused you. I wanna apologize and I wanna ask if you would forgive us. And if that means there's a conversation that needs to be had with me or Lloyd or one of our leaders, please come and have that with us. I know some of you have felt missed because we have so much emphasis on marriage that sometimes we don't acknowledge the reality and need that you have as a divorced man or a divorced woman. And we want to do better at that. Now, I want to challenge us in whatever category you fit in to reflect on the words of Jesus this morning and allow the Spirit of God to move in you. So we're gonna put on the screen um, three prompts 
and we'll get two minutes for you just as we start to begin the closure of our service. Wherever you are, married, divorced, unmarried, there is a question to reflect on and there is a prayer for you to pray. So let's spend a couple of minutes together doing this and being led by the Spirit and then we'll close our service. take out your communion elements if you picked one up on the way in and if you're watching with us online you can take what you have available to you at home and get it ready don't don't uh, take it yet but you can go ahead and start peeling back these plastic layers and get the little bread out the wafer just hold it in your hand for just a minute while you're doing that and let me say this and, and I hope you're able to do two things at once and listen to my words because I think this is really profound as this struck me this last week there's one place in all of human history where truth and love combined the, in the most profoundly, the, the most impactful, the most profound way in all of human history. And it's at the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about this for a minute. Because of the truth of our hard-heartedness, Jesus went to the cross for us. And because of his love and compassion, he stayed on the cross. He went through with it. Truth and love intersecting more profoundly than any other moment in time. And this is the moment that we commemorate, that we remember through this 
communion through this Lord's Supper. And so now take the bread and remember this bread represents the body of Christ broken for you. Eat it with gladness of heart. Now let's take, get the cup ready. When Jesus was, was about to offer the, the cup to his disciples at, at that last supper together, he said something really interesting. He said, this cup is the new covenant, which is in my blood. And, you know, covenant sounds like such a religious word. It, it just means the, the relationship, the, the arrangement, what is now possible relationally. What did he mean by that? There's a new covenant that's possible. The new relationship with God that's possible. So let me speak into all of you who have made mistakes in your marriage. And any of us that have been married, is that not true of us? You know, some of you have gone through really hard, difficult divorces. Others of you, you've kind of been just hanging in there, but mostly as roommates and your hearts are hard toward others. And we've got you know, all, all kinds, all kinds of us in this room. And I want you to think about this for just a minute. Jesus is saying your relationship with God and this new, this new covenant, this new relationship is no longer based on your performance. It is no longer based on how well you can keep the law. It's not even based on how pure your heart is because it's not about your heart. It's not about your behavior. It's about Jesus' heart and Jesus' behavior. And he gave his blood for you to drink, for you to be forgiven and back in relationship with God so you can keep going. You can keep growing and you can start wherever you are right now and live in this new relationship, live in this new covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see the power in those words? This cup is the new covenant that is in my blood. With that said, let us now drink with gladness of heart.